We have been in a study since the first of the year. Next Sunday is the last Sunday we're going to close this study out, but what we're calling it is normal, normal Christianity. What is normal? Uh, if you ride by our sign, you've, you've heard different, you've seen and read different, uh, different things about normal. Normal is not average, okay? Normal, and we've learned over the last few weeks that normal conforms to a standard. And when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is the normal standard for a Christian. Jesus was not the first Christian, okay? I've, I've, I've said that several Sundays, but Jesus wasn't a Christian. Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. But he was the standard of what we are called to be. He is, he is the person we're to be like. And he didn't just call us to be like him in a moral sense. He called us to be like him in every sense. With the exception that none of us have to die for somebody else's sins. Okay, Jesus did that for us. One time. That's complete. But Jesus has called us to walk as he walked. He's called us to do the things that he, he did. And all we have to do is listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to listen to the Father speak to us. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about exercising dominion and nature. And you're going to say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, just stick with me, okay? Uh, Jesus exercised dominion over nature. He spoke and things happened. Think about this just for a moment. These passages, we're going to look at each of these passages a little bit this morning in depth. But he cursed a fig tree. And by that, I mean he didn't cuss a fig tree. He cursed a fig tree. He told the fig tree to dry up and die. And the fig tree dried up and it died. Okay? He, he spoke to the storms. And he spoke to the to winds and, and the waves on the, there on the Sea of Galilee. And they became still. And folks, Jesus walked on water. Now, I, I'm okay with cursing a fig tree. I'm okay with uh, telling the storms to go in a different direction or to dissipate. But when it comes to, to walking on water, I'm not sure I could crawl over the edge of a boat. and I want to, okay? Listen to me. I want to, but that boggles my mind until I think about this. And I'll say this again in a few minutes. Peter also walked on water. Okay, and Peter's just like us. I mean, in every way. Okay? In every way. I don't know what y'all are laughing about, but I guess y'all get what I'm talking about. Now, I read these stories, and I've heard sermons preached on these stories multiple times by multiple pastors. But what always ends up happening is the truth of the story is spiritualized. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's given a symbolic meaning rather than a literal, real meaning in which it meant at the moment it took place. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with that per se, okay? But the stories that we find in Scripture are there for a reason, Okay? And the disciples understood what was taking place around them based on what they saw happening. Jesus didn't sit down with them and explain all these symbolic meanings of what this meant. He just gave them a literal interpretation of it, what was happening in the now. Okay, let, let me give you an example. 
Yesterday I was working in my barn. Now this didn't happen. It could have happened, but it didn't happen. Okay? And let's just say I walked over and I had a wire and I just stuck it in the electrical plug. What would have happened? I'd have got electrocuted. Now, I'm not really interested in your spiritualization of that story 20 years from now, okay? <laughs> the truth is, it was stupid to stick the wire in the electrical outlet, and if you stick it in there, you will get shot. That, that's the lesson, okay? But what happens is we ten, tend to take stories like that, especially in Scripture, we tend to take those stories, and we tend to spiritualize them and, and make everything symbolic of something that may or may not be, okay? Now, I understand in the book of the Revelation and in prophetic utterances, there are symbolic meanings. But a lot of Scripture is just rubber meets the road, literal living, okay? And we're going to look at some of those things today. And, and I'm going to challenge you. These stories, for me, they leave me with a sense of awe, and a sense of amazement. Every time I read the three stories that I'm going to share a little bit today, I'm, I'm awed by them, and I'm amazed by them. Yet, cursing a fig tree and watching it dry up, speaking to wind and waves and watching them become still, and walking on the water are no more miraculous than the normal ministry activities Jesus did in his personal ministry. There's nothing more miraculous than, than healing a sick body or casting out a demonic spirit or, or raising the dead. Let, let's just think about it. I mean, all of those things are beyond us. Amen? They're, they're beyond our natural abilities. They're not beyond what God can do through us. And so... These nature miracles, and that's what I'm going to call them, these nature miracles, these natural miracles, they kind of captivate me. They kind of inspire me. And they encourage me sometimes to take a step out farther than most people are willing to step. Okay? Because it's uncomfortable when you begin to do these things or to try these things. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, this has kind of been our... Our, our nail verse that we were hanging this whole series on. It not only invites us to do what Jesus did, it commands us to do what Jesus did. It commands us to imitate Jesus in everything that he did. John writes this, he says, The one who says he or she abides in him, in Jesus, ought himself or herself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Folks, that's not just morally. That's every way. That's relationally. That's physically. That's, that's mentally. We're to think like Jesus. We're to act like Jesus. We are to be little Christ. That's what the word Christian means. Little Christ. So this morning, I want to ask you, I want you to humor me a little bit, okay? If you listened last Sunday and you're here today, then, then this won't be too big of a stretch, okay? But I want you to, to at least consider what I'm about to propose this morning, okay? If Jesus did it, and everything that Jesus did, he either saw God the Father doing, or he heard God the Father telling him to do. If Jesus did it, then we are supposed to do it also. We're supposed to listen for what God's saying. And we're supposed to look and see where God's working. And if he tells us to do something, we're supposed to do it. Amen? Or oh me. 
or I'm not sure because I'm not sure what God will tell me to do. If Jesus did it, we're supposed to do it. Now, I've never heard a sermon on this particular, what I'm about to preach, nor have I read it. I haven't read a book about it, okay? Because let's just be honest with you. Most people are not going to say this out loud. Because it, it boggles, it's, it's, it's a step past the rim of what we consider possible. Okay? Sure, God can heal sick people. Sure, God can, some, some people can, not everybody, that's what they'll say, but everybody can. Some people can cast out demons, but raising the dead, Nelson, that's a step beyond where, where we are. And talking to the weather, walking on water, speaking to, to mountains and telling them to move and trees to dry up, that, that's, that's just about too far. Okay? Well, I'm going to take the step this morning because I want to follow Jesus' example, and I believe the Holy Spirit is leading us to at least consider this this morning. Okay? I understand, and I want you to hear me this morning. I understand, and I fully believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Okay? I believe that. I believe he was 100% God and 100% man. He was two natures, divine and human, in one body. Okay? Those natures did not mix. They were separate. I want you to understand that. That's orthodox Christianity. That's what the church fathers have taught since the apostles. I believe that. I also believe that what Jesus did as a, as, a, as a man, he did as a man, okay? Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2, this won't be on the screen, I'm just going to share this with you, that he emptied himself. And empty doesn't mean that he dumped himself out in a, in a, in a locker in heaven and locked that up and left that. It means he set aside, he willingly chose not to use his attributes as God. That's what emptied means. It means he chose not to use his attributes as God while he was here on this planet. Instead, he limited himself and became one of us. All right? I want you to, I want you to hear me. Okay? I want you to get this because this, this is critical in, 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 in grasping how much God loves us. Jesus limited himself and became one of us and everything he did, he did as a human being. But he did it by being obedient to the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit, which enabled him to do miraculous things. It enabled him to, to heal the sick. It enabled him to, to cast out demons. It enabled him to raise the dead. And folks, this is not a far step. It enabled him to speak to a fig tree and cause it to dry up. It enabled him to speak to the wind and the waves and cause them to be still. And it enabled him to walk on water. John chapter 14. Jesus says this, the things that I do, you will do. And even greater things than I have done, you will do. The one that believes in me. Folks, that's either true or it's not. And we don't have, 
We don't have a way to look at what Jesus did. We have no instructions that tell us, okay, you can do this because Jesus did it, but you can't do this because Jesus did this as God. See, we can't, we can't separate what he did as a man and as God. So there has to be a rational understanding, and, and, and I believe that is, is that Jesus limited himself as God and did what he did while he was on this earth as a man. Folks, he died on the cross as a human being. He suffered worse than any human being has suffered. At any time, he could have said, Father, send some angels. I mean, that's what he says. He said, I could ask for a legion and they would come. But he doesn't do that, folks. He doesn't do that. He, he lives out his life as a human being. And there's a reason for that. Okay, there's a reason for that. Jesus did that because he was the last Adam. That's what scripture calls him. The last Adam. You know who the first Adam was? The first Adam sinned. It was Adam. That's exactly right. That wasn't a trick question, by the way. The first Adam, look at the first Adam. The first Adam was created and he had no sin, okay? Now, I don't like the word perfect, but, but he didn't have any sin. He didn't, there was no sin nature there because he'd never sinned. He, there was no sin. And he chose to sin. He chose to disobey God and his nature was corrupted. And every human being after the first Adam was made in the likeness of the first Adam. All right, that's what Scripture teaches. That's us, okay? That's every one of us. Nobody has to teach us how to sin, right? If you don't think, if you disagree with that, you can work in our nursery next Sunday, okay? <laughs> Those precious babies, when they're hungry, they want their food now. When their diaper's dirty, they want it changed now. They're, they're, they think about themselves, all right? And, and nothing changes. And so the first Adam was, was born or was created. He was made without sin. He, 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 he was in a state of holiness. But he failed. And he passed that sin nature to every child after him. That's us. Jesus comes and he is born of a human mother. But God is his father. So there's no human father who, by the way, is the one that passes the blood line to the, to the child, to the generation, to the generation. So all of a sudden, there's a new Adam. The last Adam is born. And guess what? He doesn't have a sin nature. And he doesn't surrender to the temptation of of, of Satan at any point, and therefore he is able to do exactly what God says, and he is able to, to do the works that, that God wants him to do because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And folks, this Adam, the last Adam, Jesus, fulfills the first Adam's purpose and plan. There won't be another Adam, all right? There was the first one and the last one. There won't be another one. Because the last Adam fulfilled everything that God wanted fulfilled. He, 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 he completed the purpose and the plan. And because he did that, and this is, I don't want you to miss this. Because he did that, he could become our sacrifice for sin. He's the perfect 
sacrifice. There's no sin in him. He's complete. He deserves to go to heaven. Do you understand that? When Jesus died on the cross, if, if, if he, had, had, he deserved to go to heaven. There were no black marks on his record. There was nothing for God to go, sorry, can't let you in. He was perfect. And because he was perfect, he could die for us. And the big theological term for that is substitutionary atonement. He could make atonement. He could make payment for our sins by substituting himself for us. And God accepts that payment. We know that because of the resurrection. That's what we talked about two Sundays ago. God accepted that payment and said, I accept it. And then God raises him from the dead. And scripture says that Jesus becomes the first fruit, the first taste, the fountainhead, the beginning of a new species of human beings. And those human beings are transformed into a new creation by being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. When a person comes to Jesus Christ, they become a new creature. Scripture says the old things are gone. The new things have come. We're a new species. Now, you can stand a, 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 a born-again believer beside a lost human being, and you know what? They'll, they'll have two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth. They'll be white or bright, black or brown or yellow or red. They'll have curly hair or, or, or straight hair or long hair, short hair or no hair. I mean, they will look alike, but there's a difference, folks. The one that is born again is a different species of, I almost would say animal, but we're not animals, okay? But we're a different species. We are a species that mirrors the fountainhead Jesus Christ. Am, am, I, just, am I just preaching to the walls this morning? Because I haven't even got to the good stuff yet, Okay? I'm just trying to lay some groundwork for the stuff that, that stretches us. And so if, if you know Jesus this morning, you're not the same person you were born. You're a new creation. You're made in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And with those truths in mind, with those things in mind, listen, I don't want my limited experience or my limited understanding to keep me or the people God has called me to lead from grasping the possibilities of what God can do through us. With God, there is no such word as impossible. Okay? Over and over and over in Scripture, you see that nothing is impossible with God. That's what the angel tells Mary. God says, there's nothing impossible for me. I, I don't even know the meaning of the word impossible. So I want all of us to experience everything God has for us and to embrace, to embrace everything that God says we can do. Now, having set that in place, I want you to keep that in mind. Let's just, let's just take a step out there on the water, okay? On the water. How many of y'all are afraid of water? There's a few people. I like the ocean. I just don't want to get in it. <laughs> okay? I don't, I've, I've, I've been 15 stories in the air. I know what swims six feet off the shore. I've seen it. Okay? If you want to frolic in it, you have at it. 
I don't care about that. I'd, I love to go to the beach. If I had my choices, I'd go every year. I'd spend a week down there. But you know where I'd stay? On the balcony <laughs> where the wind's blowing and the sun's shining and I can hear the sound of those waves. I don't have to get in the water. I don't want to sail on it. Every time I've ever sailed out on it, which has been two or three times, I've gotten sick. Okay? I, I, I love the ocean, but I don't have to be in the water. So when you start talking about walking on the ocean, it gives me a little bit of shiver deep down inside. But Jesus walked on water. Okay? That's what Scripture teaches us. Now, as far as we know, He only did it one time. Why He did it, we are not told. Okay? It, it's, it's, it's a strange passage to me. All right? Because he doesn't have to demonstrate he's God. But if you know the story, and we're not going to read the story uh, today, all of it, but I just want to set the background. We we don't know why he chose to do it. We can only speculate on that. So we're not going to this morning. We're just going to consider the facts. He's just taken bread and fish, and he's multiplied. He's fed 5,000. And they want to make him, they say, hey, this is the Messiah. Let's make him king. And Jesus wants to get his boys, the guys he's training, he wants them out of that crowd. And so he gets them into the boat and he says, hey, head on. Now the interesting thing is he doesn't get in the boat. Instead he goes up on top of the mountain to pray. And so while he's praying, these guys are rowing away or sailing, whichever they chose to do. But a storm comes up, and Jesus sees what's happening to them. If you read the story, uh, you know that it's, it's late in the morning, I mean early in the morning. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 14, verse 24 and 25. It says, but the boat was already a long distance from the land. In other words, what that tells me is if you bail out overboard, you won't make it swimming. All right? That's what it tells me. If you, if you get out of the boat, you die. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, and it was battered. The word battered there means tormented. And it was battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. It was, it was adverse. And in the fourth watch, the fourth watch was 3 to 6 a.m. So it's, it's pitch black dark, and it's, it's as dark as it gets before the sun comes up. So it's the fourth watch of the night. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Now, I have been on the Sea of Galilee twice. I have been to the place where where most people think that it took place. Listen to me. There are no rock outcroppings out there. All right? He didn't walk on rocks that were underneath the water. There are none. The Sea of Galilee is eight miles wide. It's 13 miles long, and its average depth is 84 feet. Okay, it's deep, except right at the shore. And so the Bible says that Jesus walked on the water, but the interesting thing the text tells us that Peter also walks on the water. Peter is just like you and me. He walks on the water, and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, And his faith carries him to within arm's reach of Jesus. Listen to what Matthew chapter 14 verse 28 and 29 says. And Peter said to Jesus, 
Lord, if it's you. Now that Lord, if it's you, is probably better translated, Lord, since it is you. Okay? Since it is you. There's a certain kind of conditional sentence here in the Greek. Lord, since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, he understood that in the natural, he couldn't walk on that water. But if Jesus gave him permission, if Jesus called him to himself, that Jesus would take care of everything else. And so Peter says, Lord, if it's you, since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says one word, and it's a command. He says, come. Well, now, just put yourself in Peter's place. All the other disciples are staring at you. Their mouths are like that. You're known for being a little braggadocious. That's a nice word for that, okay? <laughs> you talk too much, okay? It's put up or shut up time. Jesus says, come. And I love what the next passage, the next part of the verse says. And Peter got out of the boat. He climbed over the side. Folks, this wasn't a canoe. I want you to understand this. This was a fishing boat. It wasn't a large boat, but it was bigger than a rowboat, much bigger. Okay? And so he gets out of the boat, and he walks on the water, and he came toward Jesus. Now, in most sermons, that's the end of all that stuff. What's, what, what finds emphasis is what happens next when he starts to look around. I mean, let's just be honest, man. You're walking on water. What else are you going to do but look around? This is awesome. Wow. But he looks around, and he sees the wind and the waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. Now, that's where we spend most of our time. Oh, faithless Peter. Listen, he's the only one who got out of the boat. All right, he, he got out of the boat. He's the only one who can say that he ever walked on water that we know of. All right? There's something going on in my head right now. I'm going to leave it alone, okay? <laughs> Just let that alone. But Peter, Peter gets out. And here's what this passage tells me. Here is a person, flesh and blood, just like I am, doing the exact same thing that Jesus was doing. Have you ever tried to walk on water? Come on, let's, let's just be honest. You ever stepped right there in a the tub and think, it's be good if I don't float, sink or in the lake? I'm, all of us have done that, okay? Let's just be real honest. If you hadn't, I encourage you to try it, Okay. <laughs> Because the results will probably be the same as all of us. But just in case it doesn't happen, I want you to let me know about it, okay? <laughs> so anyway, here's Peter, and he's walking to Jesus. We don't, we're not told how close Jesus is. He's far enough away, if you read the text, that some of the disciples in the boat thought it was a ghost, Okay, they, they didn't know for sure what it was. So he's, he's out there a little ways. And when Peter sinks, if, you, if you'll remember, Jesus reaches out. So he, Peter walks more than a step or two. Now, you can belittle Peter's faith, but his faith carried him to within an arm's length of Jesus. Now, here's my point. Okay, 
if God calls you to walk on water to fulfill something he wants you to do, you will do it if you take the first step. I'm going to say that again. If Jesus calls you to walk on water and you are willing to take that first step, you'll do it. The key is, when he calls you, if he calls you, if you see him doing that. And listen, I, I don't mean that literal. I mean figuratively. I mean that literally. Do you believe you have that level of dominion over the natural creation? Now I've heard pastors say, well, hey, if you've got that kind of dominion like Adam had, just reach up and take hold of that hornet's nest and see if they'll sting you. That's the spirit of stupid, okay? <laughs> that's what that is. That's not, that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. I don't see God reaching and taking hold of the hornet's nest. So we don't do that. What I'm saying is we have to learn to listen to God. And if he says step out, we step out. If he doesn't say step out, we stand there. All right? We stay in the boat. Peter's the only one who got permission. To step out. And he steps out. My experience says that, hey, can't do that. But my Bible proves that it is within at least the realm of possibilities. Now I want us to think just a little bit wider of what's taking place. Jesus has put them in that boat. He sent them to the other side. They have his blessing. They're in the center of his will. Amen? They're right where he put them. And what happens? Well, a storm blows up. And I believe, it's my own personal belief, that, that those, those disciples were trapped in a storm that was inspired by the devil. I believe that. If you'll just hang with me. I believe that he wanted to destroy them. Okay? Or at least destroy their faith that they had gained in seeing him feed the 5,000 folks. That was some kind of miracle. I don't know if you, you, you realize that. But, I mean, we're talking a handful of bread and a handful of fish and a tractor trailer load of stuff. From this to this. That, that, had, that had convinced the crowds that this is the Messiah. This is the only, only the Messiah can do this. And so I believe that the enemy had, 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 had manipulated the weather. Which brings me to a question I want to ask you. Does the devil have any power over the weather or over the other elements of nature? Not sure, Pastor, I'm not going to, you're not putting me in a corner and making me go there. Well, I, I just want to suggest some things, okay? Satan cannot create anything, all right? Nothing. He does not have creative power, but he can manipulate and counterfeit those things that have been created. And he does have the ability to manipulate things that God has made. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 calls him this, the God of this world. That's what, that's what the Lord calls him, the God of this world. And scripture says that his sole purpose, according to John chapter 10, 10, is to kill or to steal, to kill and to destroy. Now, if you go to the Old Testament and you, you read the book of Job, the book of Job illustrates that with God's permission, he can interfere with things. 
And one of those things that he interferes with in trying to destroy Job, to make Job curse God, is the weather. Think back to that story with me. We know that by reading the first chapter in, in Job chapter 1, verse 19. It says, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. That house that I'm talking about is the house in which all of Job's children were. That, that wind came across the wilderness. It struck that house. It killed all of Job's children. The wilderness, even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, was believed to be Satan's personal abode. That was where he hung out in the wilderness. Where did Jesus go to be tempted and to fast for 40 days? He goes to the devil's house. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but Satan is not in hell. That makes for great stories to scare our kids with, but that's the biggest lie in, 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 that's taken out of this book. It's out of He's not in hell. He doesn't live in the flames. His demons are not there stoking fires, okay? That's, that's, that's pagan theology. That's middle-aged theology. Listen, the only time he's going to be in hell is when Jesus Christ casts him into the lake of fire. That's the place he doesn't want to go. So his abode, the belief is that his abode uh, was, was, was the wilderness. And so out of the wilderness comes this, this great wind. And, and if we read Job chapter 1, we read verse 16, we find that, that it, fire fell out of the sky. That's what, that's what Scripture says. Fire fell out of the sky. It burned up all of Job's sheep and all of Job's servants that cared for them. Now, we need to hear me. God didn't send either. God didn't send the fire. God didn't kill the sheep. God didn't kill the servants. He didn't send the wind that killed all of Job's children. They were direct attacks by, by Satan on Job. We don't know this without chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Job. But we have it if we would just read it. He can't create weather. I don't think he can create weather. But he can manipulate it and he can excite the forces that are already created by God and he can make them instruments of evil. He understands how to unloose the entanglement of contrary forces. Now listen, I understand that when warm air and cool air meet, we have a problem, okay? We live in a part of the country when they meet on regular occasions at certain times of the year, all right? But I also know that the devil can manipulate. I know he has an amount of power. I don't know how much. And that he can work things to his end. And so there's a possibility that, that he can do that. If, if there is a possibility he can do that, then why don't we exercise our authority? Listen, the insurance companies call it an act of God. You ever heard that term? That was an act of God. And then, then they interview people and they go, well, I don't know how a loving God could do that stuff. That's because the loving God did not do that. He allowed it. The enemy did it. Folks, what happens is we just go, we use the sovereign card when stuff like that happens. Well, God is sovereign, and this must just be his will. 
Folks, if we'll just study Scripture, we'll see what the will of God is. The will of God is that nobody perish apart from Christ. The will of God is that He loves us and that He sent His Son to die for us. You say, Nelson, you're getting really close to that place where you're going to say, you're not sure if bad weather is God after all. I'm not. Okay? I'm not 100% sure that it is. Some of it may be. And, but most of it, I think, is the devil trying to wipe this planet clean of people who are made in God's image and God's likeness. So if that's true, why don't we exercise our authority in Christ and speak to that weather? I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Why don't we destroy the works of the devil before the devil destroys the lives of people? If Jesus did it, we're intended to do it. It should be a normal practice of our Christian experience. Now, I want to go from that right into a particular one that's a little bit different than walking on water. We have a record of Jesus speaking to the wind and to the waves. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all three record the story of where Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples. He tells them we are going to the other side, and he promptly lays down in the stern of the boat with a pillar under his head and goes to sleep. Now, if Jesus is asleep in your boat, you're pretty safe, right? I mean, this is is the person who in in his Godhead spoke and things were created, okay? So Jesus lies down in the back of the boat and he goes to sleep. Why? Because Jesus is headed somewhere. Where does Jesus... Let me ask this question. And, 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 and you can be turning there. If you want to get cheat, you can. Mark chapter 4, verse 37 is what I'm going to read here in a minute. But Jesus is headed somewhere. He has a mission ministry. God's already told him where to go that day and who to meet with. Who is it? Do you know? It's the Gadarene demoniac. It's the guy that's got a legion of demons. Jesus wasn't just sailing down the shoreline looking for somebody that looked sick or miserable. He was headed for a certain place. And so he he, he rests because it's going to take a few hours to cross that sea, across that lake. He's headed for the garrison. He has an appointment to set legion free. So if you were Satan, what would you do? I mean, let's just be honest. When it comes to advertising, legion, you don't get better advertising for that. Okay? If if you're the prince of darkness and the prince of evil, he's the best advert. He's living, breathing, wild man. He's terrorizing the countryside. he's, he's, He's perfect advertising. So what would you do? Somehow, i got to stop that. I've got to drown these old boys before they get to the shore and and they get rid of my best advertisement. And so as they're sailing across that sea, Mark chapter 4 verse 37 says this, And there arose a fierce gale of wind. A fierce gale of wind uh, doesn't mean much to... A boy from Alabama, okay? That word means a violent storm, a whirlwind, or here's something I can connect with, a tornado. 
All right, that's, that's what the word literally means in the Greek. And it says, and the waves were breaking over the boat. Now, having been in a boat like this, those waves were 8, 10, 12 feet high, okay? They weren't, they weren't little white cappers. They were, they were big waves. And so they're breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Let me put that in landlubber terms. We are sinking, we can't bail it out fast enough. Now, listen, I understand the topography around the Sea of Galilee. There, there are some hills that come down, the Golan Heights, and there are, are these valleys or, or ditches or gigantic ditches that come up from the mountain, Mount Hermon, all the way down to the Sea of Galilee. And they funnel cold air, okay, from the top of the mountain. And guess what kind of air is rising up off the Sea of Galilee? Because it's warm there. you got warm air. I understand that. So I understand that it was a place that, that gave rise to sudden storms. It was known for that. But I want you to look at the big picture. The goal of this particular trip. The, the, the fact that over half the men on that boat were seasoned sailors. This is what they had done since they were this high. Since their daddies took them out. They knew what the storms were like. They had been through the storms. They had, I mean, they, th- this was where they got their livelihood. Th- this is not a bunch of landlubbers that went on a three-hour tour and ended up shipwreck on the USS Minnow, okay? This is, this, is, this is not that. This is not Gilligan and the captain here. This is, these, these are guys that understood this water. This is where they lived. This was their, their workplace, their shop. And so it, it kind of seems evident to me. Jesus understood it too. He's gone to sleep. He's not concerned. Folks, I believe this is a sneak attack. I think this is an ambush. I think this is the enemy trying to destroy them, to, to thwart them from getting where they're going. So what does he do? He sends, he stirs up a storm. He sends up a violent one. And, and you know what? The storm was different than any that they had ever faced. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because they'd already given up before they woke Jesus up. Listen to what they tell Jesus in verse 38. We are perishing. That's that's a nice King James way of saying, look, buddy, we're dying here. We're drowning. We're about to be fish food. The, The end has come. It's over. We're perishing. Now I want you to look at Jesus' response. Okay? He doesn't, he doesn't say anything to them. He says he gets up, he got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. Do you realize how long it takes when the wind stops blowing for water to become calm? It doesn't happen immediately. All right? Go to the beach after a hurricane. It lasts for days sometimes. But Jesus rebukes the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind dies down, and it becomes perfectly calm. Jesus uses command authority. 
He uses authority that has been given to him through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he asserts his authority over the wind and the water. And I want you to, I want you to listen to what he says and how he says it. He rebukes the wind. Okay? He speaks, that, that word rebuke means he speaks in order to prevent an action or to bring an ongoing action to an end. In other words, stop doing that. That's what he says. Now. And then he commands the sea to hush and be still. Now that, when I, as a grandfather, I can't use the word shut up. It's a bad word. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So I have to use hush. So when my dogs are barking, I have to go, hush, Kaiser, hush. And Kaiser doesn't understand that. He understands, shut up, Kaiser. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. I understand why we don't, I don't really understand. I'm from a different time. But Jesus speaks to the sea. And and the translators say, hush, be still. And hush literally means be silent. Be silent. And it's interesting, be still means to put a muzzle on and keep it on. In other words, shut up, be muzzled, and sit down and be still. That's what Jesus says. Folks, those are the same words he uses in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, when he's in the synagogue with the demoniac. Be muzzled and be quiet. Shut up. Jesus is treating this storm, and he's treating its effects as as he treated evil power that had to be subdued. Jesus is demonstrating that the power of the kingdom of God is more powerful than the kingdom of darkness. He's demonstrating that God's purpose can't be stopped, it can't be slowed down, and it can't be diminished if a servant of God will take authority that he or she has been given and use it in the appropriate moment. That's what he's doing. So he speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves. And you know what happens? The wind gets still. And the water is as smooth as glass. Here's here's how the Gospels, all three of them, put it. And rarely do you have perfect unity in the words when they describe something. But it says it became perfectly calm. Or here's, here's the King James translation. A great calm occurred. And it's there for a reason, folks. Because that typically doesn't happen. The phrase appears in all three of the Gospels. It appears from the text, as you read this, that Jesus expected his disciples to act in faith, but instead, you know what they did? They reacted in fear. I think he expected them to say, be still, shut up. I believe that's that's why he went to sleep. It was an opportunity for them to use what he had been teaching them. Because they were fixing to land on the shore and they were going to see something they'd never seen before. They'd seen a demoniac with a demon or two in them, but they'd never seen one with a legion in them. And so Jesus is is preparing them. But instead of acting in faith, folks, they react in fear. Faith appears to be the very thing that makes Jesus normal. 
Jesus just acts in faith. He speaks. Faith is what makes him normal. And folks, it's the very thing or the lack of it that makes us appear abnormal. We tend to become fearful. We tend to freeze up. Jesus acted and his faith in God's protection and provision propelled him into a miraculous situation. Listen, faith produces atmospheric conditions where the atmosphere is ripe for miracles. But a lack of faith paralyzes us with fear. I have seen people speak to the weather. Okay? And to pray. And I have seen weather do strange things. I remember, and I wish I could tell you the year, but many of you will remember this. We, uh, I was a part of First Baptist Gardendale, part of the staff, and we did an Easter service at the Civic Center. And it was an expensive service, and it was a service that had been planned minutely down to the details for months. And the day of the service, guess what? It's like a tornado wind's coming. Cloud that's beyond a cloud. And it's coming from the west to the east. You can watch it on the radar. Because some of us did. Alright? And we begin to pray. And we begin to speak to that cloud. And you know what it does just before it gets to the city limits of Bardendale? It splits. You can watch it on radar. It splits. It goes around. It doesn't rain until we get the last truck loaded out of there. It comes back together on the other side of Birmingham and goes on. You say, well, Nelson, that's just weather. You call it weather, I call it God. Okay? That was God's money. God was bringing people that needed to hear the gospel. That was God's day. Folks, I have seen it happen at other times. You may think I'm nuts. I go out on my front porch when storms are coming and I speak. Now, the one time I didn't do it, guess what happened? I got a big old dead pine limb on top of my carport and it broke three trusses. Just happened a few weeks ago. So you better believe the next time there's an outbreak, you know where Nelson's going? Out on the front porch. You say, well, Nelson, that don't do any good. Well, you, you pick up limbs at your house and you get them off your house if you want to. But I believe that my house and my property belong to God. And so I'm not going to let the devil litter my yard nor tear those things up. Okay, I'm going to speak to it. Now, I hadn't been out on the sea and unless God puts me on a boat, I won't have to be speaking to waves, all right? But you may have to. All I'm saying is, why would we let the devil destroy our communities and our state and our nation? Why? Well, we just got to get to the storm pit. Well, pray before you go to the storm pit. Pray while you're in the storm pit. Now, let's just move on. We're going to get away from the the water aspect. We're going to get away from the wind. Let's look at another instance, and we'll finish up here. The command of Jesus, when he commands that fig tree, he's, he's, he looks for some, a fig. I don't know enough about fig trees, but listen, if, if he knows there's not going to be any figs on that fig tree, if it's not the time of year for those figs to be there, why is he, why is he doing this? 
Okay, he didn't grow up in the city. He understands that there's a season for figs and a season not for figs. He's looking because he expects there to be some figs on the tree. That's just the bottom line. And so he looks into this, he looks in this tree, begins to spread around. He doesn't find any. And so what he does is he tells it to dry up and die. You're worthless, you're useless, you're not doing what you were supposed to do. Now, listen, I understand the symbolism of the barren fig tree. I have been taught this in Bible college and seminary. I understand the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. All right? But here's what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't sit his disciples down and say, man, this tree is a symbol of Israel. And I'm going to curse this tree because Israel will be cursed and she's dry and barren. She's not producing anything. And this is what this means. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus spoke to the fig tree and told it to dry up. And it dried up. Folks, I understand the prophetic meaning that's attached to this passage. But there's also a literal meaning. There's a here and now in the moment meaning that Jesus is teaching his disciples. They heard him curse the tree. They witnessed the tree withering and drying up. They didn't ask Jesus to give them the prophetic meaning of what had just happened. No, listen to what they ask. Listen to how Jesus responds. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 20 through 22. Seeing this, seeing what? Seeing the tree turn brown and die right before their eyes. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed. Well, I bet you would have been too. I know I would have. I've watched pine trees die. They don't die immediately. It takes months for them to dry up and die. They watched it, and they were amazed, and they asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? Now, folks, that's the literal, that, that, that's what took place that day. And listen to what Jesus says. And he answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, you will do the things that I have done. Okay, I want to I I couple this with another passage. You'll do the things that I have done. You'll not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you need to tie on your seatbelt right here. But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So obviously, if we're not seeing it happen, we don't believe. Is that not what Jesus said? Okay, we're all on the same page. Jesus acts in faith, and what happens? That tree, it just dries up. He acted in faith, and his words were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says we can do the same things. Now, listen, he's not going to turn us loose to curse trees, all right? That's, that's not the point. He, he's not going to turn us loose in little motorboats to ride out on Lake Gunnersville in the middle of a storm to tell everything to be still. He, he's not going to send us out on a, a body of water so that we can walk around and the television cameras show up. That, that's not the point that I'm trying to communicate here. What I'm trying to do is to tell you is that Jesus listened to his father and he saw what his father was doing. He heard what his father wanted him to do. And he acted. 
Maybe Jesus just wants you to walk across the back of your yard to your neighbor's fence and say, Hey, my name is Nelson. What's yours? For some of you, that's more terrifying than standing out in a thunderstorm and telling the lightning not to stop. To, 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 you understand what I'm saying? He may just want you to say to the person you've worked with for 25 years, Hey, do you know Jesus? For some of you, that's more terrifying than being in a hurricane. My point is that if we'll just do what God's wanting to do and what God tells us to do, He'll take care of the rest of the stuff. Well, 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 well. you don't know what my neighbor will say. No, I don't. God does. You don't know what my work associate will say. No, but God does. Folks, Jesus knew. He knew what was going to happen when he stepped out on that water. He knew what was going to happen when he went to sleep in that boat. And he knew what was going to happen when he cursed that fig tree. You know what was going to happen? Exactly what God told him would happen. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. He understood clearly because he had listened carefully. That's our problem. We don't listen very carefully. So what would happen the next time a storm blows up or a flood threatens or a hurricane approaches or a tornado is imminent? What would happen if we simply got quiet and we just listened to God? God, is there anything you want me to do? And folks, if the crickets are just chirping and you don't hear anything, get your stuff and get in the storm pit. All right? But if you'll quiet yourself down and God says, you know what, I want you to pray and I want you to speak to this and I want you to do this or I want you to do that and you will just do it, then you've obeyed God and the rest is up to Him. God has chosen to partner with us, folks, not just to share the gospel with people, but to minister to people and circumstances and situations. He's chosen to use us as vessels to do what He wants to do. Our job, what would happen if we just listened to God and then we did what He told us to do? What if we just prayed, got our directions, and then acted? What if we just exercise the normal authority God has given every one of us in these kind of situations? What if? What if? What if? What if we just acted like Jesus? What if we just walked as Jesus walked? What would happen if we simply acted normal? I can't answer that for you. Only you can. What would happen in your house if you begin to act like Jesus? What would happen in your workplace if you begin to act like Jesus? What would happen on your commute to work if you'd just speak to people and wave at them like Jesus waved instead of the way most of us wave? What if we just quit getting upset and tried to find out what God was doing in that situation. Listen, folks, I am not there yet. I want to be. I'm just like y'all. 
But what would happen if we'd really begin to act like Jesus? I, I realize that speaking to a fig tree or speaking to the wind and the waves or just stepping out on a body of water and taking a stroll is, is about a step out of most of our wheelhouses. Okay? But... If Jesus did it, then we can do it. Okay? I'm just asking you to consider it. And there are a whole lot of things on this side of those three things that we should be doing all the time. Because Jesus has commanded us to do it. What if we were to begin to act like Jesus? Let me tell you what would happen. We would become normal. And faith would fill up places like this. You know the only time places like this fill up now? It's when terror hits this nation. When fear takes hold of us. You know why it doesn't last? Because fear never saved anybody. Okay? Fear doesn't change things. Faith does. Folks, if we don't like the way our nation is going, then why don't we speak to that situation? Why don't we stand up and why don't we declare things that we know God has said, I will do if we will do our part. For my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and pray, I will hear their prayers. I will hear their land. I'll forgive their sins. I know that's not in the order it's supposed to be, but all of that's in that verse, okay? What if we just did what he's called us to do? What if I'll just do what he's called me to do in the place that I'm at? <coughs> what if I'll just be normal? Folks, if we'll just be normal, God will do supernatural things. He will change people's lives. He'll change our lives. Folks, he, he, he will send a revival. He will send an awakening. When we begin to act like Jesus, we will see revival, okay? You can pray, and you can pray, and you can pray, but if you don't act like Jesus, you won't see revival. That's just the bottom line. When we begin to act like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did, then revival will take hold of us. You know what? God may be calling on somebody in this room to walk on water. Don't look at it like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Look at it. I get to do this? Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I think that's what Peter was saying. God may be calling you to, to speak to the weather, to stop a storm. That he didn't intend to come through and destroy. And I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever been through one, it's not nearly as hard to stand on your front porch and not care who's watching you. Okay? Or he might call you to curse a tree that won't produce. Folks, God's calling people in this room to do all kinds of things. He's calling somebody to teach children. He's calling somebody to, to, to go out in the community and share Jesus. He's calling others to, to, to minister to needs that are, that are evident 
I mean, he's calling all of us to different things, folks, if we will just listen and do them. Yeah, but, 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 if you just get rid of the word but and stop saying no, there are two words you don't use with God, but and no. There's one word that as believers we're to use with God. Guess what it is? Yes. Every time I say yes, God multiplies things. Every time I say yes, God multiplies. He moves us into a different level, to a different place, to a different faith. Okay? Listen, there are new devils for every level. All right? But but God has got faith that will take, all we have to do is say yes. 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 God's looking for some people that will say yes this morning. Let's pray. Father, I believe this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.